Morning, Glory, and evening, Grace, America. It's Hugh Hewitt on a day of two important Supreme Court cases and continued developments as we've been covering with Governor Kasich and Leader McConnell. Uh, it is time for the Hillsdale Dialogue. Now, normally we do that on Friday, but we're doing it on Thursday this week because tomorrow is the annual sojourn to the happiest place on earth, to Disneyland, and we cannot let anything get in the way of the Disneyland thing. So the Hillsdale Dialogue is coming in on Thursday. Those of you who are never in your car on Friday in the third hour are happy you finally get to hear one. And we are leading off today, by the way, all the Hillsdale Dialogues dating back to January of last year are available at hugh4hillsdale.com. Everything that Hillsdale does online is available at hillsdale.edu for free, including their incredible speech digest in Primus, which you need only provide your mailing address for, and they will send it to you, one of the great uh, speech digests uh, available in the United States today. But we are going to press on. We may be joined by Dr. Larry Arn later, but we're beginning with Dr. Corey Moss, who is a professor at Hillsdale specializing in the period into which we are now thrown, which is the period of Erasmus and Luther and more. But as I got ready for this, Dr. Uh, uh, Moss, and welcome. It's great to have you. Well, thanks for having me, and I hope all is well back in my old stomping grounds, Orange County. I I noticed that you were a professor at Concordia. I was indeed. So that must mean you are a Lutheran. That is correct. And so this is like setting, this is stacking the deck against poor Erasmus and Thomas More, isn't it? I'll I'll try not to be too partisan. No, but this is is absolutely, you know, I I had a friend named Chuck Mansky, who was one of the founding presidents of uh, Concordia, And uh, we used to sit down and talk Luther stuff all the time. And I always would point out to him that, but for Luther, everything would have been calm for a couple of a century. That's that's exactly right. (laughs) Well, he would argue the point. He said, if not Luther, somebody else would have come along. What do you think? Sure, sure. No, I think that's the case. All right. Well, we're starting with the first of the great reformers. This week, Erasmus. Next week, Luther. And then the following week, Dr. Moore. And I want to set up for people, Erasmus was born in 1466, which is 20 years. It's 17 years before Luther. And, and he dies 10 years before Luther dies. But they are, in essence, contemporaries, correct? That's right. That's right. Uh, can you give us a, a sense of the differences between the men's temperament, their, just the way they handled their lives and they moved around? Yeah, v- very different temperaments, very different biographies, very different contexts. Um, and Erasmus is uh, very irenic. He, he, he doesn't like conflict, whereas Luther is, is very famous for conflict. Uh, Erasmus is kind of an idealist. Luther is, well, to put it politely, he's, he's, he's very earthy. Um, and, and Erasmus is very much a cosmopolitan. You know, he's, he's born in the Netherlands. He hops around Europe his entire life, never stays in one place for long. Um, Luther rarely leaves East Germany, uh, actually is, is born and dies in the same town, doesn't spend his entire life there, but, but doesn't get around much. And, to, and, and do you attribute to their differences in outlooks that cosmopolitan, as you noted, Erasmus, the man born in Holland, spends most of his time in Paris, England, and Switzerland, and he's always bouncing around. He really is like, you know, a year here, a year there, back here. That's right. That's right. I, I I don't want to put too much stress on you know, the, the way that their biographies shape their ideas, but, but there's certainly something to this. Um, I mean, very famously, Luther talks uh, you know, constantly about some of the um, sort of spiritual crises that he had throughout his life and uh, you know, attributes that to his, his search for a, a sort of true comfort uh, in theology. Um, similarly, Erasmus' uh, Erasmus' early biography is in some ways very tragic. He's... he's 
Uh, he's born illegitimate. His father is actually a priest who is not supposed to be having children. Um, and then both of Erasmus' parents die while he is still fairly young. His mother dies of the plague, right? Uh, they they both end up dying of the plague. And it's, it's I mean... It's, it's not the sort of thing that Erasmus necessarily tries to hide from the world, but it's, it's the sort of thing that he doesn't advertise. And so this period of time in which he's moving around Europe, is it convulsing or is it on the precipice of convulsing? Well, it's uh, depending on what aspect of, of European life we're talking about, it, it's, a, it's both of the above. I mean, uh, geographically, uh, I mean, things are happening. This is, this is the age of discovery. Uh, Columbus is sailing to the New World. Vasco da Gama is is traveling to India. Uh, early 20th century Copernicus is starting to to float the idea of of a heliocentric universe. Um, all things going on, all sorts of things going on at the political level. Um, there are uh, territories uniting into nation states. There are territories that are sort of pulling themselves away from the Holy Roman Empire. Um, I think you've been talking about Machiavelli in previous weeks. Right. Um, I mean, he's very much a part of this. He 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 writes that famous Prince in part because he wants to see he wants to see Italy unified like a, a strong central state like France or like Spain. Now, now Erasmus also writes letter to a Christian prince, but he could not have known of Machiavelli's work, correct? Well, he he writes it three years after after Machiavelli publishes. Um, I don't know that there's there's any real uh, direct indication that he's aware of Machiavelli. Uh, but but they, they they do form an interesting point of contrast. I mean, Erasmus is very much of the opinion that a prince, if he has to choose, should, should prefer to be loved by his people rather than feared by his people, which uh, Machiavelli famously dismisses. Now, there, I think history is full of people like Erasmus. You know, Howard Baker died today, and Howard Baker was famous, if for nothing else, as being a man of moderate temperament. Uh, not not particularly a great intellectual, not a great accomplisher of things in the Senate, uh, something of a place keeper as chief of staff. Or if you look back, there are there are always people like Erasmus who get in the middle of a shooting war and they would prefer <laughs> not to be there. Right. No, that's right. He, he famously says and and. I'm not entirely convinced that he's over-exaggerating. He famously says at one point that the sum and substance of our religion is peace and harmony. So he's absolutely terrified um, and, and, and disillusioned by the things that he sees happening in the church, not, not only with the Reformation, but even prior to the Reformation. Some of the things that you talked about with my colleague, Dr. Gaetano, a couple of weeks ago with uh, you know, the fallout from the Avignon papacy and then the, the, the so-called papal schism when you've got two popes, two, two men claiming to be pope at the same time. Uh, that gets resolved uh, at, a, at a church council, which raises the question of whether or not a, a, a council of bishops actually has authority superior to that of a pope. Um, and, and then even within the papacy itself, we have this string of, well, you know, Renaissance popes who, let's just say, aren't, aren't, aren't ideal popes for various reasons. But I also want to ask you, in this period of, period of time, there are people like Henry VIII running around, and they are fighting wars, and they are invading France, and they are uh, decapitating the church, in essence, and taking all the property. And you have the Machiavelli running around with the Borgias and all that sort of stuff going on in Italy. Erasmus is an intellectual, uh, and Luther is just a priest, and yet they managed to shake the world. That doesn't seem possible anymore. <laughs> no, that's right. But, 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 they, but they, both have, they both have big microphones. I mean, Erasmus is, 
I mean, this is this is obviously before radio, before television, before the internet. But but there is this astonishing uh, correspondence network. I mean, Erasmus throughout his life has has a has ongoing correspondence with something like five hundred different people, um, and and this is the way that news travels. This is this is the way that that Luther's um, early writings and and ideas get discussed, whether they agree with him or not. Um, people are forwarding them to one another for comment and. Um, it's, it's astonishing how quickly these ideas spread and take hold. I'm talking with Professor Corey Moss of Hillsdale College, this week's Hillsdale Dialogue on a Thursday as opposed to a Friday, and we're talking about Erasmus. Next week we're going to throw ourselves into Luther, but Erasmus is a bridge figure. He's very, very famous for being a bridge figure, a man torn between recognizing what was wrong with the Catholic Church, but also, would you say repulsed by Luther's vigor? Well, I, I would certainly say that, yeah, his, his <laughs> in, in, in one of their most famous exchanges, this, this, this great debate over uh, free will or, or the bound will, I mean, this really more than the point itself, Erasmus is, is constantly counseling Luther just to dial it down. Maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong. I happen to think you're wrong, but, but whatever the case, you're, you're too insistent, you're, you're, you're too earthy um, and, and frankly, uh, dangerous. And what did Rome think of Erasmus, who was also not part of an Inquisition-like, and that, of course, comes later, but he's not part of an Inquisition-like uh, blowback at Luther either? Well, what, yeah, what did Rome think of Erasmus is a, is a complicated question. I mean, some of, some of Erasmus's great friends are those that we think of as, as sort of, you know, champions of the traditional church, people like Thomas More, um, and... and uh, Erasmus' famous uh, little booklet, uh, in, in The Praise of Folly, it, it's dedicated to Moore. Moore gets a great kick out of it. Um, but still within Erasmus' lifetime, uh, it's, it's condemned by the University of Paris. It's condemned in, in Spain. It's condemned in Portugal. It's con- um, so, I mean, the, there are people that think Erasmus is, is also dangerous. Uh, he, he, he might hold the right theology, but he's a little too free with, with sarcasm, with satire, with criticisms of the way that the church is actually working. Yeah, not not something I think is a bad thing. When we come back from break, we'll continue the conversation on this, the Hillsdale Dialogue, on a day when we're uh, saying goodbye to a man who, who stood in the middle of much of American political scramble for many years, Howard Banker, but who left really almost no imprint upon it. That's the interesting thing about it. Erasmus left an imprint, but it's very hard to say what it was in the aftermath of the earthquake that Luther unleashed and the counter-revolution that came thereafter. My guest is Professor Corey Moss of uh, the faculty at Hillsdale College. It's the Hillsdale Dialogue, all of which are available at HughForHillsdale.com. Stay tuned. 21 minutes after the hour, America, it's Hugh Hewitt. Although it is a Thursday, I am doing our Hillsdale Dialogue on a Thursday. Tomorrow, I am, of course, making my annual annual pilgrimage down to the happiest place on Earth, Disneyland, where we uh, begin summer every year with a broadcast devoted to nothing except uh, nostalgia and celebrating a great American genius. We are, however, in this Hillsdale Dialogue, talking about a great uh, genius of Europe. I was going to say of Holland, but I'm going to retract that because Erasmus was really a man of Europe. My guest in doing so is Dr. Corey Moss of uh, Hillsdale College, formerly of Concordia University, I believe an ordained Lutheran minister. So he's got a He's got, uh, you know, some suspicion to overcome on behalf of those of us on either side. You know, the Protestants are going to say you're not really a Protestant, and the Catholics are going to say you're not really a Catholic, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and so uh, did, they, did they quarrel over the nature of the sacraments? Um, well, they, they certainly did. Um, I mean, as part of, again, Erasmus' satire and, and, and sometimes sarcasm, he's— 
he's got questions about the, the, the way that the sacraments are taught in the church. But at the end of the day, the, the church is the church, and what the church says is, is, is obviously right. Um, and which is one of the things that, that, that Luther finds you know, suspicious about Erasmus. The, 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 he's, he's convinced that Erasmus doesn't really have any opinions. And, and, and because he was trying to go along and get along with everyone, right? Yeah. He, he, again, I, I think there's a bit of exaggeration here. But at one point, he's, he's commenting on uh, his, his dislike of, of the rule in the church and the rule in the Holy Roman Empire, both, both sort of ecclesiastical and, and political. And he says, but, but I don't buck the system because I want to remain safe. And so what is it that you have your students read of Erasmus? What ought they to know about him? God, that's a really good question. I mean, you've got, you know, a hundred volumes and counting of Erasmus works. Um, we, we actually don't right now assign Erasmus in the, in, in the core freshman history course. We, the, the, they read some of the early Italian humanists, but, but not so much the, the, the northern humanists of the later 15th and 16th century. But if I were recommending something, I mean, I'd... I'd, I'd certainly suggest The Praise of Folly just because it's, it's the, perhaps the best known and it gives you a flavor of Erasmus uh, satire, but, but at the same time real concern for uh, the church and concern for Christendom. He's, he's, he's not criticizing because he's you know, a sort of enlightenment skeptic like Voltaire. He's, he's criticizing because he thinks that the church can reform and ought to reform, and, and he loves the church and he wants it to do that. Well, as I went through this, I got the idea that he was very much a public intellectual. That would be its counterpart to today. That's right. Uh, that he was a man of the middle. He did not he did not like the confrontation which you already articulated, that he's best known for his translations uh, rather than for his original work because those translations allow others to take it further and the further translations lead to conflict, but that he is more bon vivant than anything else. And and we have those people. He's sort of like Davos before there was Davos. <laughs> well, that's right. And that's and that, that's one of the, the, the conflicts I have when people ask me, what would I recommend from for Erasmus? Because things like The Praise of Folly, I mean, they're what we know that, that those are the works that are popular. But but Erasmus himself probably wouldn't have recommended that. I mean, he's, he's, he spends an enormous amount of time, um, you know, pulling together editions of the Church Fathers and and compiling multiple editions of of uh, the the New Testament in its original Greek and then with his new Latin translation. And and he thinks those works are far more important, but those really aren't the works that that you know get the attention these days. And, and in praise of folly does because people like the title. I'm not sure they read yeah, that's, it much. That's but right. They, that's right. They like the title, but it's really the translations, isn't it, Professor Moss? It it, it really is, and and especially, I mean his 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 translation of the New Testament, which which is part and parcel of of Erasmus' whole program of of reforming the church. He he wants the church to have you know the. Uh, the best edition of scripture that it can, um, and and so again he's 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 a little perplexed and 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 offended when it becomes the favorite uh, biblical text of of Protestants, and they sort of run with with some of his uh, comments and retranslations, and and begin to build a new church on those. Why is he offended by that? Well, uh, <laughs> it's a good question because he's well. Let me put it this way. Um, he is accused in his day of, of having laid the egg that Luther hatched. Um, and, and so he's, he's caught in the middle. Um, you know, Protestants don't like him because he's, he's not a Protestant. Um, but, but his fellow Catholics don't like him because they, they think that he's sort of responsible for, for initiating and inaugurating this Reformation. And he very much wants to distance himself from that charge. So he, 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 doesn't, want, he doesn't want to be seen as, you know, 
having critiqued the, the received Latin text of Scripture, the Vulgate, uh, in a way that made it possible for Protestants to, to, to further push those. So he didn't want to be the bridge that let Luther no, that's, loose. That's right. That's right. But at the same time, he's buddies with Thomas More, who is the great defender of church authority. What does More think of his buddy? Well, uh, he... He, he does consider him a real friend. Um, he, he, he occasionally, if I'm re- recalling, he, he, he does sort of counsel him to uh, be cautious, even more cautious than Erasmus himself is, um, because, you know, the, the, these things can be taken too far. I mean, I, one example that comes to mind, um, more, although he's, he's very much a, a humanist like Erasmus, and so like Erasmus, very very suspicious of some of the sort of popular traditions of the church, you know, about who's, uh, which saint's bones are buried here, buried there. Um, and so you have humanists uh, making quips like, you know, the, the, there are enough pieces of the true cross floating around Europe that, you know, we could build an ark. Um, and, and, and Moore is, is conflicted by which this. Which are very subtly undermining, right? Those yeah, are very that, subtle attacks. That's right. And, and you can see Moore squirm at one point because he's, he's well aware of, of fellow humanists commenting on the, the number of churches throughout Europe that, that claim to have uh, the, the, the head of John the Baptist, who was you know, famously decapitated. Um, and, and, and Moore sort of feels backed into a corner, and, and he finally c- concludes that, well, they must all have part of the head. Uh, you see that, and that's just an attempt to keep his own head. Well, <laughs> that that could be. Yeah. That, now, what what the question this raises is whether or not people like Erasmus are good or bad for cultures. Because if the conflict is coming, and you've got people who are running around pretending that it's not coming, mm-hmm. uh, and and throwing trying to paper over differences and being friends with both sides. Are they actually helping things along, or are they going to make the convulsion worse? Yeah, that's, that, that's a good question, um, and, and it's really hard to say. I, a part of me thinks that, that Erasmus is, I mean, he's, he's actually surprised by all of this. It, 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 it's, he's, he's convinced that this doesn't have to happen. Now, the Christendom does not have to be divided. It doesn't have to split, and, and especially someone with, with his fame, his celebrity, uh, his, his authority, um, that, that, that if he stands in the middle, perhaps he can prevent this. It, and when we come back from break, I'm going to give you two examples of people who thought maybe they can prevent this. One of them was Lincoln, right? Mm-hmm. And the other one is very contemporary. You know, if you look down at Mississippi, there's this civil war now between Republicans, between the McDaniel people and the Cochran people. Mm-hmm. And there are a whole bunch of us who would prefer that this just not happen, that it can't help anybody out. And the folks like Erasmus, though, they don't really do much good in any situation. They don't, they don't really prevent that which is inevitable, which is a reckoning. When I come back for the Hillsdale Dialogue, my guest is Professor Corey Moss of Hillsdale College. Hillsdale.edu if you want to sign up for Imprimus. If you also would like to read uh, anything that is uh, part of the Hugh for Hillsdale Dialogues, go to hughforhillsdale.com. Stay tuned. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. 34 minutes after the hour, America, it's Hugh Hewitt. Tomorrow's Disney Day, and so the Hillsdale Dialogue is being held today, the last hour on Thursday's show. And I hope you're enjoying it. If it's your first exposure, because you're never in the car on Friday, every Friday in the last hour of the week, we typically do the Hillsdale Dialogue. Some, some weeks it's on a Monday, and some weeks it's on a Thursday. But since we began these in January of last year, they have typically been the third hour of the Hugh Hewitt Show on Friday 
Every single one of those, Back to the Iliad, uh, with Dr. Arn and his colleagues at Hillsdale College, are available at the website, hugh4hillsdale.com, all downloadable, all for free. And Hillsdale College has extraordinary online resources, which are absolutely free, which include courses on the Constitution, courses on progressivism, uh, a terrific Hillsdale reader, which you can get that would give you an introduction to the classics you never had, and faculty members who lecture on uh, on these various subjects, like my guest, Dr. Corey Mass, who is uh, an expert on Luther, on Erasmus, and on Dr. Thomas More, whom we will be dealing with in week three. Next week, Dr. Uh, Moss and I will be talking about Luther. Back to Erasmus. Um, and for those who have just joined us, would you summarize, Dr. Moss, why he matters? Why he matters? Well, I mean, he matters for a, a whole number of reasons. I mean, he does uh, his... His reform program, if we can, if we can use that term, it, it does bear real fruit, uh, both in the short term and the long term. I mean, if we if we think of something like his um, his, his revised edition of the New Testament, um, it it in in various editions comes to be what is called you know the the received text, and so it undergirds uh, something like the King James version, which if you you know grow up in an English speaking nation for the last three hundred years, I mean you're familiar with this. Um, his his Compended, uh, his, his compendium of, of, of adages, uh, you know, sort of quips and quotes in Greek and Latin. Um, it, it, it's sort of a horn book for people like uh, Cervantes and Shakespeare. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff that you're reading in Shakespeare and you're thinking this is Shakespeare, it's, it's, it's Shakespeare quoting Erasmus. So, I mean, his, I mean, one prong of his, his reforming program, a sort of educational reform, reform of letters, you know, bears fruit. And it's, um, you know, it's worth recalling, especially for those of us who, who love and cherish the, uh, a liberal education, that Erasmus did, did a great deal of good in this respect. Now, i got to ask you, though, uh, Thomas Akempis, the man who wrote The Imitation of Christ, mm, which yes. I, is a few hundred years before, I believe, he, he, he warned against witticisms. He warned mm. against quips and jokes and in praise of folly as being quite detrimental to one's spiritual development. Obviously, Erasmus doesn't agree with that. No, that's right. There, there, there's, a, there's a bit of a debate about um, whether or not Erasmus is, is, in his early days, educated by the, the same group uh, of which Thomas Kempis is a part. Um, he, he, he famously dislikes his early education, uh, in, in part because he thinks they're a little too stern, a little too strict. And, and and but he and so he goes to England and for five years in fact he was at Cambridge. I was that's going right. to bring this up with Doctor Arne. He went to Cambridge, not to Oxford. <laughs> that's and, right. And he was Lady Margaret's professor of divinity. Correct. And he stayed there for five years, and that's a long time to be in a university town if you're kind of a overbearing pedant, aren't you? I mean, well, people... especially if you're Erasmus and you're constantly complaining about the weather and the warm beer. Yeah, and the food. He didn't like the food. Yeah, that's right. He, that's he didn't right. like anything about England. In this regard, <laughs> he was correct. But but nevertheless, he's sort of just the... I was going to work up to this with you and, and Dr. Arnson. He's the modern professor. <laughs> Do you think? Well, he... I mean, he, he does... I mean... Uh, Although he does resist multiple offers for a sort of permanent professorship, he 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 does he does enjoy at least his time in England. I mean, Moore is there, uh, John Collett is there, uh, Fisher is there. He he likes the company, and and because he's famous, he can he can more or less do what he wants to do. Well, that's it. It's like the AAUP, the American Association of University Professors, yep. and they move around. And they don't really get much done. And, <laughs> and we know that there are some of them who are, are genuinely influential in the public square like Erasmus is. 
But when it comes to actually doing the heavy lifting of leaving something behind that changes public opinion, did Erasmus do that? Well, that de- that depends. I mean, th- this is a great debate. Um, I mean, some some people look at uh, the the debate between Luther and Erasmus as as a sort of def- defining debate. Sort and they of throw thunderbolts the at each other, right? They, they write. They, they write. They, letters. they do. They do. That's right. Um, and and. I mean, some people look at this, uh, I think, sort of hyperbolically as, you know, right on the cusp of modernity and, 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 and even sort of uh, foreshadowing some of the things that we see in the modern age. And the, the question then becomes, well, in, in what sense is Erasmus a modern or in what sense is, is Luther a modern? And, I mean, on the one hand, you, you, you look at this and you say, obviously, well, Erasmus stayed with the traditional church. He, he defended the traditional church. He's, he's not modern in that sense. But in the 18th century, I mean, the, the Enlightenment rationalists, they're claiming him as one of their own, as a, as a critique, uh, critic of theology, uh, sort of skeptic, uh, and even a bit more absurdly as a secret atheist. What, one more segment coming up with Dr. Moss. Don't go anywhere, America. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. I know some of you have been watching the NBA draft and missing Dr. Corey Moss and I talking about Erasmus. But that's, uh, that says something about you and not about us. And, uh, and I'm not sure what it says at all, but we're talking about Erasmus because he is the bridge to Luther. And I have argued, and I want to ask Dr. Moss, who is a uh, member of the faculty at Hillsdale College and my guest this week on the Hillsdale Dialogue, I thought Luther was the, uh, the greatest figure of the millennium. And I made that argument that but for Luther, nothing would have been the same. Other people argued Churchill, other people argued Lincoln, but, but I argued Luther shook the foundations. He brought it all down and from it, had to be rebuilt, everything that there is. And so he's a great man. I think of his, of Erasmus as an interesting man, but not a great man. What do you think of my distinction? Yeah, the, I mean, the, 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 there's something to, I mean, let's put it this way. Erasmus is probably uh, the more famous, uh, the, the more liked, the more loved today. Um, but, but whether he had the more significant impact on the development of the West, um, I think that would be very debatable. Yeah, there aren't any Erasmus churches on the corner of every, of every city in America, right? There aren't That's any, right. That's right. There aren't any people who are going on pilgrimages to Erasmus's hometown, although there might be a few. And I doubt there are any Erasmus people looking for his table notes. And this sort of leads me to bridge to Luther next week. Contrast him, if you will, with what Luther accomplished. Well, let's say this. Erasmus has a very definite program from early in his career. He knows what he wants to accomplish. Um, Luther doesn't. L- Luther stumbles into this. I mean, you might even say he's, he's sort of dragged into this. I mean, he has, he has no intention to found a church, to divide Christendom, to, to inaugurate the Protestant Reformation. Um, but it happens, and once it happens, he's he's going to very adamantly uh, defend his part in that. But but now, is it fair to say that Erasmus lacks courage, and Luther maybe has too much of it? Yeah, um, that that's that's probably fair to say. Um, I mean, Erasmus sometimes pokes fun at himself. He, he famously says that the mind is not the spirit of a martyr. Um, I mean, he, he huh. kind of knows. That in an he's, age he's, of martyrdom. That's right. In an age of martyrdom. Um, and, 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 and Luther also uh, pokes fun at himself. Uh, he, he, he praises his colleague Philip Melanchthon because Melanchthon can actually write things without swearing and, and, and you know, sort of pretty up the rhetoric. He's not quite so earthy. So, I mean, Luther's well aware of, of his... Yeah, perhaps, uh, I don't know if overly courageous is the term, but... 
Can I say something for Erasmus? Oh, here comes Arn in to save Erasmus <laughs> or at the last minute, and I had totally so, vanquished the man. So I walk in here, and Erasmus is being called coward. Yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> and Corey's agreeing with it. Okay, so I want to say one thing for him. First of all, the guy was a friend of Thomas More. No coward. He True. Will, he will have grieved when Moore was killed. The second thing is, if you think of uh, of the Reformation as a great fight between a corrupt church and a bunch of reformers, there's uh, the the greatest evidences that that won't work that I know of are in Thomas More and Erasmus because they were reformers and they thought the church could be cleaned up from its sinful and arrogant and prideful ways. And that that's what they wanted to do. And they both took risks for that, uh, Thomas More, unto death. Well, More will get a much nicer reading from me in two weeks. I've been pointing out that Erasmus, <laughs> is, and this is not meant to be a critique of any particular professor, but that he lived a professor's life and he avoided, you know, drawn swords. He did not want to get in the middle of this thing. Yeah, but More tried to do that very hard, mm-hmm. right? But, I mean, in a way he did, but also after he had his breach with Henry, he did write a few things that were a little provocative. Uh, so, yeah, he, he but you... you the, the reason to study him is that there's an, there's an argument about how God's authority is instituted in the church, and you can't understand that argument by reading Luther alone or the popes alone, you know, whoever they're, you know, these, these guys had something very serious to say, and they made a record as honest people who weren't just partisans of their clan. Oh, that's well said. And in fact, he, uh, I, in my reading for this, he hated the partisanship. He was a reluctant defender of the church, correct? Hmm. But he's, he's, he's a reluctant defender of, of, of parts of the church or aspects of the church. I mean, he's, he's, he's very clear that what he wants to defend is, is uh, the church and, and the moral sanctity of the church. So he's, 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 he's going to defend... Uh, a moral church, and sometimes that means critiquing an immoral church. And he does defend transubstantiation in the final analysis, doesn't he? He, he does Ross? in the final analysis. That's right. And so it, you, know, it, you know who he sounds like, Hugh? Who? To me, he, he, Thomas More, and when they talk about these church things, Thomas More and Erasmus, and I don't know as much about this as Corey, I begin by admitting, I'm just not going to call him a coward. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, they sound like John Paul II to me. Hmm. John Paul II is a reformer. Right, and he 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 very much wants the church to be clean, and is not afraid to speak out about you know he's reconciliation, right? And he talked about and helped to purge by the spirit of them anyway some of the things the church had done wrong over the years, and he was pope when he did that, and he was a student of Erasmus. Well, very well. That is the highest praise you could possibly give the fellow to say that he sounds like a saint. Uh, on, on the other hand, um, unlike John Paul II, who threw himself into the fight against the Nazis and the communists and was on the front war and would face them down, uh, Erasmus stayed in his rooms at Cambridge. And I thought you would be against him because he was a Cambridge man, not an Oxford man. But but, but he he really didn't want to get into the middle of it. Larry, and, and there is no greatness there, right? In the shadows writing letters, there is no greatness. Uh, well, there can be great letters in the shadows writing letters. That's why you read him. You don't, you know, if you want to know about the conflict and who came forward in it, you're dead right. 
uh, as Thomas More was dead right. Uh, that's that's the one, right? It's and, the next and, two. It's the it's Luther yeah. next week and More the following week, and and, and they're the hero and the anti-hero, however you want to label yeah. them. Yeah, but but again, these you know to figure out what these issues are, what Thomas More knew about those issues by his own account, he learned partly partly from Erasmus. Okay. Okay. Well, next week we will continue, and, and perhaps then the president of Hillsdale will be timely. <laughs> it's about my father's business. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, and Professor Moss, Corey Moss, thank you so much. Uh, to Luther next week as the Hillsdale Dialogues continue. Don't go anywhere. I'll wrap up today's Hugh Hewitt Show.